It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 509 for November 12th, 2017. And I am your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, episode 43. And he claims he is finally going to let us take a look at JavaScript ES6, which he's been teasing us about. Right, Bart? I have indeed. And uh, you're getting a sneak peek today because actually there's quite a lot of ES6. I knew it was a big update, but I'd forgotten quite how big till I started writing the show notes. It's like, <laughs> and we have to do this, and we have to do this, and we have to do this, and we have to, ooh. Okay, but you said it's all going to be easier and cooler and awesomer, so I'm looking forward to it. it it's a big upgrade. Um, it, it takes JavaScript into a much better place than it was. And I think uh, listener Jill in particular is going to like some of the things we talk about next time. Um, okay. Actually. Cool. Uh, well, because well, JavaScript was missing some features he really, really likes, and now it isn't. Oh, neat. Well, before we dig in, I want to give a shout out to my teaching assistant, Dorothy. So as you guys all know, Bart is an amazing teacher, but sometimes you need a little extra help and you don't want to keep asking the professor, right? Because then he'll think you're an idiot. Well, Dorothy brings a completely different perspective. Um, she's, uh, she is a programmer, doesn't know, didn't know JavaScript before taking programming by stealth. So she's done the game of life. Uh, but the thing that is unique about her for me is she has a different uh, way of teaching and it really, really works for me. So we communicate over text because we figured out that Allison gets too impatient if I do it in voice. So we only do it through text. That's one of our rules. And she asks me questions. So she doesn't tell me how to solve a problem. She'll say, well, what do you think will happen if you follow down that path you just described? Or what is it you would expect to happen? And why would that work? Um, but the other thing she does, so Bart is definitely doing the right thing by getting our vocabulary in place. And, and he's very rigid about you've got to say all the words correctly. But when I'm in the heat of trying to ask a question about I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm trying to get something done, I'm very likely to say, hey, that dumb thingy, not uh, make sure it's in the document of the object model or whatever. I mean, I just I, I like to use sloppy words when I'm talking to Dorothy and she totally lets me. And uh, it, it really I, what I, I start thinking about this is what is happening is I'm triangulating to learning. So I've got Bart on one angle and, and Dorothy on another angle and me on the third angle and I'm getting there. And, and I just want to give a big shout out to her because she takes a lot of pressure off of you. I got news for you, Bart. <laughs> well, it's good, right? And if you think about it in a university context, you'll have a professor and you'll have a tutor. Well, we have teaching Why assistants you... is what we call them. They're, they're okay, somebody yeah, you're, you basically... you're allowed to go to. Right. But it's important they're not the same person. Yeah. Because then you get two points of view and that way you get a much better understanding. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so thank yeah. I actually want to say uh, I want to give a shout out to Dorothy as well because I got a lovely email from Dorothy. Basically, she's been taking our prototypes and really having fun with the game of life, which is exactly what I was hoping would happen that that people would run with it. And because uh, the game of life is full of these weird emergent properties, so we've been initializing it with a random grid. But people have found that if you initialize your grid in a certain way, really weird stuff happens. <laughs> um. And so Dorothy has been playing around with those and sending me the code to set up a grid which does the cool stuff. So rather than waiting for it to happen by accident, which it will, if we rerun our code with a random starting point often enough, the cool stuff will happen. But it may take a while. Whereas yeah. if, you, if you know the exact uh, grid to put in to make the cool stuff happen immediately, then you can see it straight away. So I have a, an email with lots of code in it with cool stuff ready to go so just yeah, to, to give you an example i ran one of them um it makes little uh looks like little spaceships going across the screen and then uh I, the other one i haven't done yet is uh, it's a christmas tree 
<laughs> yeah, the, the, see, the, the the shooters, I think, is is what the first one is called. That one I was familiar with from uh, from my my days as an undergraduate, but I've never come across a Christmas tree. So I'm looking forward to seeing what a Christmas tree looks like in Game of Life. <laughs> I I do have to admit that at one point I didn't have a counter on, so it went really fast, and it was really fun to watch, or an interval, I should say. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's one of the reasons, actually. So the main reason I wanted us to automate uh, the automaton was so that we could start to watch the cool stuff because it tends to happen at the higher generations, especially when you start at random. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's dig in and get started. Enough. Uh, Dorothy's head's going to get all swole up, Bart. We don't want to keep going like that. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Um, so there is no zip file as such for this installment. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend most of this ins- this installment actually going through my solution to the challenge from last time. Um, mainly because we haven't done a lot of JavaScript together in quite some time, partly because we've been on hiatus. Um, and it just I just seemed like it was worth digging in to do some really deep revision. And then we'll make a start on ES6. And what we're going to learn is that declaring variables has changed completely. So the what variables? Declaring the word var, you shall banish from your language. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Var var go bye bye and is replaced with let and const. And let is great because you actually in your head, right? I've been saying, you know, don't say it as equals. Say it as becomes equal to. Well, it's much easier with the word let. Let x equal y is easy to say as oh. let x become equal to. So it like works it. really well. I yeah, like so that. I look forward. Now, I will be curious where you're going here because it didn't even occur to me to write any JavaScript to solve the homework assignment. So I'm curious to see how you attack this. Well, there must have been some JavaScript there. There must have been event handlers, right? Because otherwise, oh, yeah. when you click yeah. your book. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'll give yeah. you that. That's JavaScript, right? Yeah, I don't know which one's JavaScript and which one's jQuery sometimes, I'm afraid. Well, jQuery, okay, so all jQuery is JavaScript. Okay, but all jQuery is JavaScript, right? But not ah. all JavaScript is jQuery. Oh, then I did, a lot of, I did a lot of it then. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed, you would have. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so... um. The final solution you can download straight away if you want. Um, so basically, that's my finished solution at the end of everything we talked through. I released it on GitHub, and the link is in the uh, the, the, heady, the introduction section of the show notes, and it's also later on in the show notes. Or you can play along by starting with the starting point and then making all the changes as I go. Um, either way, up to you. But literally every single line of code I wrote is in the show notes this time, so there's no need to go stepping through files if you don't want to. So... Part one of the challenge was to add the ability for your game of life to run automatically. So there are a couple of ways you can do this. So there's a, yeah, quite a few possible permutations. In fact, there's probably an infinity of correct answers, as I keep saying. So if you didn't do the homework the way I did, that doesn't mean it's wrong in any way, shape, size or form. If you push the button and the thing works and you push the other button and the thing stops, then your homework is correct. <laughs> okay, good. Right, I, is, I made it over that, that threshold with Dorothy's help. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that is literally how it works. And it, even at university level, when we're, when we're correcting people's assignments and stuff, that is the ultimate, right? If your code works, you have passed. You know, maybe the, the, the assignment may have said something more specific, in which case there may be some other caveats between passing and getting an A. But in this case, I wasn't specific. I just said, make it work. So if it works, full marks. Cool. Now, of course, in my sample solution, I'm going to show you 
what I consider, in my opinion, to be a sort of a best practices approach. And I'm pretty darn sure I, someone will argue with me that I should have made a different decision. And that's perfectly fine because there isn't even one best solution. Mm-hmm. This is just what I happen to. This is how I happen to attack the problem with the benefit of 20 years of programming experience. Doesn't mean it's the best, but it, I hope it's decent. I really hope it's decent, otherwise I'm wasting my time on this whole series. Um, anyway. <laughs> so the first big choice we really had is that there's two entirely different approaches to how you make something happen at a given time in JavaScript. So you have set timeout and set interval. And both of them can be used to make a fully functional solution. So again, there is no right or wrong answer, but you have to choose one because you can't, can't write both. So I chose to go with a timeout that calls itself. So I chose to can go with I, a recursive timeout. Can I stop timeout. you for a second? You can. So um, you and I talked briefly about this just in text, but it, I don't. I didn't go back and reread timeout because I didn't pick that. I picked um, the set interval. I don't mm-hmm. understand why you would even think to do a timeout. I mean, an interval would be go this, go this often. That's all it is. Yep. It seems like the obvious answer. Mm-hmm. But set timeout yes. says do something until this time, and that's not running indefinitely like the assignment said. Well, no, it doesn't do. It doesn't say do something until this time. It says do something after this time. So if I say set timeout five hundred milliseconds, take a step. Set timeout okay. five hundred milliseconds, take a step. Okay. So the example you gave in the back when you explained set timeout was something popped up on screen, for example. So that's after five milliseconds, pop this thing up on screen. Yes. Uh, but so you're saying after some length of time, start this process. Why? Why would we have to wait? Well, no, not start. No, no. After some length of time, take a step and start wait and and start another timer. That's... So the timeout says, take a step, start a timeout. When that timeout finishes, take a step, start a timeout. So why would I do it that way? Well, because I had peeked ahead to the second thing, which <laughs> is to have the ability to change the speed. Yeah. So if you right, so if you do it as take a step, then look around you, and then do then do another step, then you can decide how long to pause at every stop. But that's what an interval is. Well, no, because an interval. Once you set an interval going, it's stuck at the same time. So as I, so when you change the slider for your speed, you have to stop the interval and restart the interval with new settings. Yes. yes. Whereas if you do it as a bunch of steps, you can just say at the start of each step, how long should this step be? Oh, they've moved the slider. Okay, I'll take a short step. Oh, they've moved the slider again. I'll take a long step. So you, every time you go to take a step with a timeout, you can choose how long that step should be. So you don't have to stop an interval and restart it. You can just at every step see how long you should be. Hmm. You see the subtle difference? I do see the difference. Um I'm There's no right for, or wrong. I'm, I'm searching for a way to prove you wrong. So keep going. <laughs> well, my code works too, so therefore you can't prove me wrong. Yeah, unless you said that it had to be a certain way, in which case I would be. I didn't. To, I no, know. I That's why I'm going I, back looking before I say anything. No, I, what I explicitly said was use one or the other, actually. I actually explicitly pointed people at both, leaving it entirely up to you to decide which you as a programmer prefer. And the thing is, if you go with the timeout method, you have recursion because you have a timeout that starts a timeout. Whereas with the go in an interval, there's no recursion. And some people really don't like recursive code. And some people love recursive code. So to some extent, this is purely down to whether you prefer vanilla to chocolate. A who? Vanilla to chocolate. Oh, okay. Right. So ultimately, some people, some people just hate recursion. So 
my solution involves recursion, so therefore they would immediately say, ick, horrible, ooh, take is, that peanut, put it out of my jelly. You know, is it less ugh. efficient? No, no, it's going to be very little in it in terms of efficiency, very excruciatingly similar. Hmm. Uh, okay. It's just down to which style fits your brain. It seems like it's got to have an extra step if it has to go check and see, hey, what's my interval now versus, uh, or what's my, you know, how long do I wait till I do it again? That's got to be less efficient than going, okay, I know, march, 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 march. Yeah, but how, yeah, well, you're reading a single variable. Infinitesimal, yeah, absolutely but, infinitesimal. But greater than zero. Whereas there's over, uh-huh. but there's, there's overhead in cancelling an interval and restarting the interval, and that overhead is not infinitesimal. That's. I think it's anarchy to change the speed while it's going. That's just crazy talk. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, see, I, I'd like that though because it's fun to move the slider about and watch things change. That's powerful. Anyway, that's weird. <laughs> so that's the first decision to make. So I made the decision to go with a timeout and you made the decision to go with an interval so immediately my code is going to be very different to your code which Mm -hmm. is fine because it's more of a learning experience that way Uh, there's another decision to be made so we have two files here we have sample.html which contains the game of life which uses the prototypes defined in bardificer.ca.js right so where do we shove the code well obviously at least some of the code has to be in the sample.html file because that's where all the html is so the buttons have to be created there but should some of the code go back into the prototype and that's another judgment so if you put it in the prototype then it could be used to create other cellular automata and save you reinventing the wheel in the future so It doesn't really matter whether you're implementing the game of life or some other cellular automaton. The ability to make it stop and make it go is generic. So you could make an argument that at least some of that code probably would make sense to go back into the prototype. But you want to be careful. If that was a a good way to do it, to put it back in the prototype, why did you put the the start button or the step button in the sample.html? Why didn't you well, put because, that JavaScript into the um, cellular automata? Okay, but if you look at the event handler for that step button, what does it do? It just calls a function inside the prototype. It calls the function step, which is inside the prototype. Mm-hmm. So the actual code for stepping is in the prototype, not in the sample.html. The only thing in the sample.html is the event handler to make it go. And that's actually the same model we'll be using here in my solution again. But this time we'll be having a start and a stop function in the prototype. So you don't want to hard code the HTML into the prototype because someone might want a completely different user interface. But the ability to start and stop is generic, so I would make the argument, and it's all a value judgment, right? This is purely judgment calls you're making here. There is no, there is no correct answer. There are only answers you can make a reasonable argument for, and I would make the argument that the ability to start and stop is generic, whereas the actual button to do it is specific. Because but someone may want a toggle button instead of two separate. Isn't the ability buttons. to step also a generic thing? Yes, exactly. Which is why the function step is inside the prototype. I'm really confused. You you okay. created something called function life step. That is a function that is written inside sample.html. Okay, life step is our actual fun- is our actual function to go from one step to the other. That is what makes that is the thing that changes between every cellular automaton, right? What's different about one cellular automaton to another? The three things that are different are the size of the grid, which function you use, to, which rules you use to go from step one to step two, 
and how you draw a, a state. Do you make it red and green or do you make it purple and pink or do you do something else? So they're the three things that are variable. But but so, you said that the rules are not variable. So I would think function no. life steps should be in the in the um in the prototype. No, those okay, rules no, are inviolate. You're never allowed to disobey those rules. No, 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 no. Oh no, 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 no. No. Those are the rules for the game of life, not the rules for cellular automata. The game of life is a single example of a cellular automaton, ah. and for the game of life, those are the rules. But there are an infinity of possible cellular automata with an infinite set of possible different rules. So then what's a cellular automata? A cellular automaton is anything which is a grid, which has a current state and a next state, and for which exists a hard and fast rule for going from one to the other, Hmm. and the only inputs allowed to that rule is my state and the state of my neighbors. Okay. Hmm. So what you do with those inputs, which is my state... to the same thing. They felt the same. Now, I, I see the distinction, though. Okay, then I will stop speaking because otherwise I may make you not see it anymore. <laughs> okay. All right, so maybe so, I'll understand when I see how yeah, you did these other so I decided to add as much of the functionality as I could into the prototypes by creating a function named dot .start and another one named dot .stop. So we already have a dot .step and then I'm going to have a dot .start and a dot .stop. Uh, to make that work... I need to add some more variables inside my prototype. So the prototype already contains a variable called underscore grid, which has all of our cells in it and a few other variables. So I wanted to add two more variables to my prototype to remember whether or not we're actually in an animated automatic sort of a mode and to remember how fast it should be going. Because remember, mine has to know at every single point in time how fast it should be going. Mm-hmm. So I made two variables, which I... I was I kind of hummed and hawed rage about the names, but it doesn't matter. I call them underscore auto step ID, which is going to be the ID of my timeout. So I set it to zero when there is no timeout and to whatever the browser gives me when there is a timeout. And then my auto step I call so my my delay I called auto step MS to remind myself it's in milliseconds. Delay? Nice. And that's yes. What's it gonna be for? So that's the amount of time between each step oh that's the interval on yes, mine. which i'm calling okay. auto step milliseconds because i'm using a timeout but yeah so, so you basically call that's the how, time how much step. The gap. that's an interesting choice <laughs> yeah okay auto step yeah as i say I, I put the ms on the end of the name to remind myself it was in milliseconds okay and i defaulted it to 500 so that's okay. two steps a second Mm-hmm. So just two variables, and you'll notice, of course, that I'm doing all of my Java, my JS doc comments so that I can generate my documentation afterwards. Mm-hmm. Again, just showing you that all. Yeah. So now I have where, made where some changes to my go, code. Though? How do you mean, where does it go? So in the show notes, you have a block of text that's 16 lines mm-hmm. long, and it's basically two lines long. It says this dot underscore auto step ID equals zero, and this dot underscore auto step MS equals 500. Where does that go? Into the constructor. Where? For Anywhere in the constructor, to be honest. It just needs to be inside the constructor. So it says, Which like file? the other instance variables that already exist in the prototype, these variables will be inside within the constructor. So that is inside bartfisser.ca.js, inside the bartfisser.ca.automaton prototype. Is that in docs, lib, test? Where is that? Lib, bartfisher.ca.js. That is the file that contains our actual prototypes we're working on. So I'll give you a line number in a moment. Uh, Well, I can can look for it. 
I, I just, I still get confused yeah, no, as to what word is. So the bartificer.ca.js is the prototype, and you're saying you can fling that anywhere you want in that file. It no, could, no, it in could the, be at the top. No, no, no. inside that, though, that file contains all of our prototypes, plural. So in there is the prototype for bartificer.ca.automaton. There's also bartificer.ca.cell. And then inside the constructor for bartificer.ca.automaton, you can fling it anywhere you like. Okay. So that constructor, hang on, I'll give you a line number for I the constructor. Yeah, that I got constructor it. is 570. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, the constructor is at 593. I, I may be, oh, I have an old version of my own code. Look at you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's a terrible idea to look at old version of code. That will not cause that will not cause harmony on this call. <laughs> okay. Okay, I so, got you. Now, now I'm with yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. So, and you'll see if you scroll up from where I defined those two variables, it's just another variable definition along with the variables we already defined. But of course, mm-hmm. we did all this weeks and weeks and weeks ago, so I'm not particularly surprised that it's taking a little bit of reminding here, right? Okay. That's, gotcha. that's natural. I'm with you. That's why we're doing this in such detail. So I have now changed my prototype. Therefore, I should also change my test. I should add in some extra assertions to make sure that my code does what I think it does. Okay. So the tests are in the folder called test. Uh And the GUI for the tests is the index.html in there, which runs our little test runner, which you probably haven't seen in months. Uh, I think you actually played it for us last week. Did I? Or two weeks ago. You've seen it last week. Yeah. and then next to it is a JavaScript file where we actually define the tests. This is one of those things I, I, I'm really disappointed in QUnit that it doesn't put the steps in order. So like the very last thing is read-only accessor step uh, and the dot step function. But I know that's not what the last thing you did was. Right? Yeah, and they... They just rearrange themselves. They do because they're under the hood. They're using objects to store things, and objects don't have a sense of order. Yeah, that is just a yeah. Anyway, yeah, that is what it is. Which is why I guess it's important to name your tests because then you can search for them by name. Yeah, so it's in the constructor. So it's in. I don't know which one it is. Argument processing. So the test is called argument processing in the module constructor in the module cellular automaton prototype. Oh, good lord. Okay. I organize uh, my tests. No, I know that part. I'm just saying the names don't. I would not, never have known that argument processing was where that was supposed to be. That. Uh, okay, but I I did say in the show notes. So let's add the following assertions to the bottom of the test, and then I give the full path to the test. Just you know. so valid argument. I don't know which one of them it is now. Looking at it, uh, initial state was correctly stored with the object. Maybe that's it. Uh, it doesn't that, say anything about step step ID or or step millisecond. Well, if you do a search for auto step underscore ID, you'll definitely find it in there. Oh, and that will jump you to the search right Search with line. the filter. Yeah, I do a lot of searching when I'm programming. Nope, step ID is not. Is it step ID? It's underscore auto step ID. Well, but step capital ID should have found it. Huh? No. Capital S on step. No. Nope. Not finding it. My, maybe I'm looking for it wrong. This is probably not good podcasting. 
I, will... I was just going to say, yeah, we, 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 anyway, the point being, it's just two little assertions, right? We're saying a dot strict equal the step ID zero and a dot strict equal the auto step milliseconds 500. In other words, very straightforward asserting that what we think happened happened. Okay. I think, I think there's a possibility this isn't the right file. Just for, something for us to check when we get off the air. Uh, just because it's not, it's definitely not finding it. It's, did you download the starting point or the end point? The starting point. Then you won't find it in there because you haven't typed it yet. Wait, I'm sorry. No, the one called Challenge Solution. Okay, it should be definitely from in Challenge GitHub. Solution. Yeah. I, I did this dot underscore auto. I mean, I copied it, copied and pasted it from the line of code. Oh, it won't be called this. Okay. It'll be called, right, so take the this off and then you should How find it. How about the dot? Away. Does it have the dot? You can, you can have the dot if you like. Nope, doesn't find it. Okay, well, I'm re-downloading my own code. I, I, just I should probably the... have my own code here anyway, because I, I I'm, I'm recording on a laptop, but it's not the laptop that I did my homework on, so I now uh, have my own code. Okay. So that should make life a little bit easier for helping you out if I'm actually looking at the same thing you're looking at. Yeah. And this might have value if it is the wrong file. If it's Allison being an idiot, this was not a valuable step. (laughs) Eh, Not necessarily. Auto ID. Yeah, there it is. Line 600. Auto. Okay. I'm doing a search for dot uh, dot underscore auto step ID with a capital S and a capital I and a capital Mm -hmm. D. And it definitely doesn't find it. So you're in test.js and you're on line 600. No, I'm in the, I'm on the, I'm on the, uh, the HTML page is no, where no, I no, said I no, was no. looking. No, no, I said the HTML page is the GUI and next to it, you'll find the JS file that contains all the tests. Yes. And the whole time I've been talking about how I want to be able to see where it is in the HTML file. And you told me. But it's me not in the look. HTML file. But it, 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 the HTML file contains nothing of any value. It's just the start J, start Q unit. There's nothing in the HTML file of any value. Okay, that mm. I. How do you Values tell? Is the wrong how word. do you tell which thing that you have passed correctly if you don't know where it is in your in your HTML? How do you see which one turned red? Oh, you mean visually? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought you were looking for a line of code. Mm-mm. I thought you wanted to see it in the code. I'm oh, completely nope. sorry. The word "see" <laughs> was completely the wrong meaning of the word. Uh, then you're looking at the name of the test is oh ah. Okay, <laughs> we spent too much time on this. Tab. We should keep. We should move along. I, I won't keep going down that path, but now at least we understand why we weren't seeing. Okay, the same sorry. Thing. Yeah, we okay. were talking so 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 cross purposes. Okay. Yeah, I see it over in the in the uh, JavaScript. No problem. Oh dear. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. C and C. Yeah. Good. Okay. Anyway, the the point the the, the, the important point is you point did a is, test. Precisely. That's it. Exactly. Uh, so now we can, in theory, start writing my start and stop functions. But actually, I also believe in validating arguments. So I've said that I'm going to store my, for want of a better word, interval as a number of milliseconds. Now, that means it has to be a number. And minus 11 milliseconds makes no sense. So I need to write a little function to check if something is a whole number greater than zero. So I've called my function is interval ms, because that just made sense in my head. And it very simply says, if type of is not number, return false. If it doesn't match the regular expression, starts with one or more digits and then ends, return false. And unless it's greater than zero, or basically return using the ternary operator, if it's greater than zero, return true, otherwise return false. So I think I just uh, thought of a question and answered it in my own head. My question was going to be, and don't answer because I know the answer now, um, 
if you're going to use a slider, then how would this be a problem? But that's the the UI, and this is the code underneath it. You Someone may want one where they get to type a number in, and Allison's going to type booger, so you need to check for it. Bingo. Okay. That's it, exactly. So they, you write the prototype on the assumption that you have no idea how it's going to be used. Okay. And probably by an idiot. <laughs> Right, write your code defensively. And he's not actually using the commutative property of equality when he just said that. <laughs> right, I mean, it is, a you write your code defensively so that when something goes wrong, your code responds in a sane way. And that sane way is to throw an error as opposed to to crash and do weird things. Okay. So now that we've done that, um, actually what I want to write now is some accessor methods because I'm storing this internal speed, so our auto step interval in milliseconds. But the user has to be able to change the speed. So the slider's change handler will have to call some sort of function to say, dear automaton, I want you to go faster or slower. Mm -hmm. So we have a straightforward accessor method. If you pass it no arguments, it returns you the current value. And if you pass it an argument, it stores a new value. So like we've done many, many times. Uh, But again, this is revision. So we say, if we're in a setter mode, so if arguments.length is greater than or equal to one, then we call our little function we've just written. So our is interval milliseconds. And if the answer is false to that, we throw new type error. If present, the first argument must be a whole number greater than zero. Assuming we haven't thrown an error, we say this dot underscore auto step ms equals the name we gave the argument, which is ms in my case. Could have been boogers, but it's ms. And then we end by returning the current value. So that's a standard accessor. So you can read right. or write the amount of milliseconds to wait. Okay. Well, we've done some new stuff, so we need to write some new tests. <laughs> so we have a test for our accessor function, which makes bloody well sure that it throws errors when it's supposed to throw an error. And then it also makes sure that it doesn't throw an error when it's not supposed to throw an error, and that it actually saves and retrieves the correct value. So that's so that actually is 57 lines worth of tests for 11 lines worth of code. <laughs> okay. Which is how do things usually go? Your test suite is usually longer because there's more ways to do something wrong than to do something right. Well, it's just like uh, when you want to paint a fence. First, you have to clean the fence and then you have to sand the fence and then you have to strip the fence. And it's a long time later before you get to actually paint the fence. Yes, actually, that's a, that's a very good analogy. Yeah, no one gives you any credit for all the stuff you do before you paint it. Right? They just say, oh, how long does it take to paint a fence? You just rub a brush over it. What are you talking about? <laughs> so we've been stripping and sanding away, and finally we get to write our dot .start function. All the pieces are now finally in place. So the function itself isn't particularly long. A lot of comments here. So the first thing it does is... Um, so I, I've set it up in such a way that you can... Start with whatever the current time interval is, or you can change the interval and start all in one go. So basically, there's an optional argument, which is a new value for the amount of time to wait. I don't actually use it in my own code, but it might be convenient for someone to be able to say, start at this speed. So don't just say, set the speed, then start. You can just say, start at this speed. Just yeah, seems friendly. I would think there should be a default. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a default, and if you pass something else, it'll go at whatever speed you told it to go at. So... Uh, the first thing we do is we check to see if we're already running. And, okay, so the version of this code in the show notes needs to be fixed because the version in the actual zip file is correct. There's an underscore after the this. I don't so know I where on earth you are. Line 15 is this dot if this dot underscore 
underscore auto step ID Wait, return uh, this. Uh, okay. Line 15 in what? Where? Okay, so there's a code snippet for my dot start function. So let's start with the dot start function. And then two colons. Wait, dot auto there. step interval dot... I'm lost. Okay, so, so we, are, we checked to see the setter getter thing. We did. We tested yes. that. We had a new okay, functionality. Great. Update our test suite. After that, okay. Then we're okay. on to another code snippet. That's what I'm okay, talking. Okay, there through. we go. Okay, the next one is the dot start function. Okay, yes. and on line 15, there's a typo that is fixed in the real code in okay. GitHub, and I obviously copied and pasted it out of my code editor too early. Okay, because there should be an underscore on line 15, so I gotcha. need to make a note. This dot underscore. Auto step ID, return this. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, if we're already running, just do nothing. Right. So because if I call I'm sorry, start, I'm, I'm going to back you up a little bit. Started. Do, yeah, please. I got because I got a little loss there. Um, we're writing a start function. Yes, we are. So remember when I gave you a hard time, why was start inside your sample.html? And you said, well, that's where it's got to be. But now we're doing it's it over not. here. Right. So the button will be in the HTML file, but the, that button is going to call dot .start from the prototype. Just and like I, I the forget, step was there, a, was there a dot .start before? Oh, oh nope. this isn't dot .step, this is dot .start. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. All right. So if there already is an interval ID, that means we've already started. So just do nothing. Like, it, you know, if, you, if you're in your car and you're turning the key when the car is already running, it does nothing. So... Just do nothing. Sod off. Return. And we're, we always return our reference to ourselves for function chaining. I'm not sure if you like function chaining yet, but we leave that I think that I was the one who did like it, didn't I? Okay, well, in that case, I, return I this. I can't say I can do it. But <laughs> well, return this is how you enable function chaining. So anyway, okay. we're saying if we're already running, just get out of here. Job done, right? You're already running, so we're started. Uh, if we were past a, a particular interval to use... Save it using the accessor method we just tested with our 56 lines of test cases. Right. Uh, then we take a step. This dot step. Mm-hmm. Boom. Now we define a callback. So this is an anonymous function we're creating. And that function we're then going to have call itself over and over again. So I'm calling it auto step fn. And because of the annoyances of how scope works in JavaScript version 5, an annoyance that will go away shortly, <laughs> we have to do this stupid var self equals this dance. And that's a dance that will go away two weeks from and now. Self is boogers, right? Can be boogers? Self is boogers. Thank it could you. be anything you like. Gotcha. But yes. The problem basically is that as soon as I say the word function, and you this comes into being, and I need the other this. So I'm just putting <laughs> the other this into something, which I'm calling self. Okay. All right. Right. So just I'm holding on to a reference to it. So we're saying if self.autostepid, in other words, if we're still expected to take steps, take a step. And then start a whole new timeout, which is basically auto step fn again. And the time to wait is self.autostep interval. So auto step fn sets a timeout which calls auto step fn. Okay, yeah, that no, that's, recursion. Uh, that's horrible code. I, you're totally wrong. I can't stand that. <laughs> exactly, and some people that's gotta really can't. It's got to be inefficient. Can. It's got to be inefficient no, to do that. No. It takes recursion. some measurable amount more CPU than not recursing. No, no it, it really is trivial. Computers love recursion. Humans hate it. Computers adore it. Humans hate it. We're different. 
I might need but like I say, some that, people. Okay. Right, I I have. I do also make a point of to myself that whenever I do recursion, I always put a comment with the word caution in all capitals because if you get recursive code wrong, you would probably crash your browser. <laughs> infinite loops and all. Yeah, an infinite loop where every time you go around the loop, you use a little bit more memory. So it's not just that your CPU is all gone; we're taking your memory too if you do an infinite recursive loop. So you don't want to do infinite recursive loops. So why would you purposely march yourself down a path like that? That seems... Ah, okay. So right now, this is the pain, but that pain has a gain. And that gain is that my slider for changing the speed is way, way, way simpler code. So I, lo I have pain here in the start function, and I have gain in, all, in the rest of my code. By the way, somebody asked the question, is uh, recursion or a loop uh, more efficient in Stack Overflow, and the overwhelming answer is loops are, this is for factorials, loop is more efficient for factorials when you use recursion. You do have right. up to X function calls on the stack. You almost never use recursion for performance reasons. Use recursions okay. to make the problem more simple. Right. In this case, though, we're, we're not using recursion. We're, it's not true recursion because what we're actually doing is we're setting multiple timeouts. So it's... Why not set one interval? Because if I set one interval, I have to keep canceling it. Every time something okay. changes, you have to cancel so, it and restart uh, it. As they say, then, to solve a problem. Yeah. So, yeah it, okay. it's, there's, right. it, like I said, there is no right or wrong answer here. So there's no point in, in, in trying to figure out which one is right, because they're equally valid. Okay. Uh, I, will never I, I could have this. written my code either way. I can't read it at all. I don't understand it. So I believe it works, because your tests say so, and it runs. Uh, yes, that's true. Actually, my tests do say so. I don't understand how you can call something with itself. but Because that's a feature of the language. The language is designed in such a way that you can do that. Okay. Uh, then I set my timeout. It says, call my auto step function and wait for the amount of time I should wait using the accessor method. And then I return a reference to self. So I set a timeout to a function that will set a timeout. Hence, the timeouts go on forever. Unless the if statement, if self that underscore auto step ID proves to be false, in which case auto step fn does absolutely positively nothing. So the function will stop stepping. And each time it will step at the right speed. Hmm. So all I have to do is change the current millisecond variable thingy, auto step ms, and then the next step will happen at the right speed without me having to stop or start anything. So it keeps running and it adjusts its speed without having to be stopped. So that's why I like that solution, because it lets it change speed on the go without stopping and starting. But like you say, it's pretty head-wrecking code. Because the fact that line 33 calls the function defined on line 27, but line 33 is inside that function, that makes people's heads hurt. Yep. I can understand that. Still does. I can understand okay. that. Yep. yep. Yeah. I think we've covered that. Is, it that is a true statement. Mm -hmm. So then we have a stop function. And the stop function is actually quite straightforward in this case because, well, the first thing is if we're already stopped, do nothing. So if there is no current ID of a timeout, just return this, do nothing. If there is one, clear timeout rather than clear interval. Um, and that's actually entirely optional. I could leave that line out and my code would still work, but I don't like being untidy, the timeout would end itself the next time it went around its, its loop. 
but I'm just going to stop it anyway because I like how to would, cheat how off would auto step ID ever stop existing? Well, because on line 14, I make sure it does when you call the stop function. But you're so basically the next line two is lines set earlier, auto step ID. Two lines earlier, it says if not this dot underscore auto step ID. Right. In other words, if I had already stopped it, if if I had hit stop and then I hit stop a second time, then that if statement will be true. So how could you have hit stop yet? You haven't stopped yet. This is a stop okay, function, this, this, so you can't have stopped. Right. Well, why not? Why can't I call this function four times? The first time through the loop, that if statement will be false, so the code will continue. The second time through, the second time I click the stop button, that statement will be true. The same code gets executed every time. So what do you need so to you say have- it for then? If you can run the code without, if you're already stopped, then why do you have to say that that line seems superfluous then? If that line wasn't there, then the, how would the function know not to do the rest of the function? It can just do the rest of the, you just said it can do the rest of the function whether or not you've hit the stop button. No, no, no. I said, this, no, line 11 is entirely optional. That's all. Just line 11. The clear timeout is optional. That's all. That's all. Sorry, if, if it sounded like I was saying the whole okay. function. I don't know what this whole function does then. Start over. <laughs> okay. I don't get you. So the job of this function, so while the thing is ticking forward, the variable underscore auto step ID contains the ID of the current timeout. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we're saying is if there's not a current timeout, then we're not running. So just do nothing. So that's line eight saying if we're okay. not running, the stop function should do nothing. Okay. Which makes sense, right? We're not running. Why would we do anything? Line 11 then says, if there is a timeout, that means we are running, clear that timeout. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm saying is I could leave that line out and my code wouldn't break because my timeout won't restart because it's not an interval, it's a timeout. But rather than leaving the browser... I don't know how it got stopped, so keep going before you tell me why I don't need that. But it hasn't got stopped yet, Right, it's a timeout, not an interval. It only happens once. So if I don't stop it, it will happen one more time and then cease to be. So I'm just cleaning it up. You talk about a stop function and you have not yet told us how the stop function works. How does it stop the 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 timeout? It sets auto step ID to zero on line 14. Yeah. And so if you scroll back up to the start function, which has the anonymous function. So auto step FN is what's actually happening every time the timeout ticks. Yeah. And on line 28, it says if self.autostep ID. So on my stop function, I set auto step ID to zero. So, so that how does that make that line. not true? Well, if, zero is not true. Okay. So the ID... Right. The auto step ID contains either the ID of the timeout or zero. If it contains zero... That means false. Okay. Yeah, which is a false C value. Okay, so what made it become zero if you didn't run the time? I don't know what the the clear timeout is then, because I thought that's what's causing auto step to be... I don't know. No, the clear timeout is just me cleaning up after myself, right? The timeout will exist in the browser's memory. I'm just saying clean up after yourself. That's what I'm saying. That line is optional. But if, if you leave that line if you've out, told it this dot auto uh, dot, dot underscore auto step ID equals zero, how is that not also cleaning up after yourself? Well, because it means that it means that the the function has to execute one more time to get to that if statement on line twenty eight. If I just say clear interval, the function doesn't even run again. The timeout just poof. Hmm. I've said to the browser in five hundred milliseconds, do this. 
when it does this, it will fail. It'll meet that if statement and do nothing. Oh, but you're saying it would but have actually, to go through this. Well. Yeah, so I'm just preempting and saying, yeah, forget I told you to do that. Okay. Don't even bother. Just go away now. Okay. It's it's just a, basically a slam on the brakes. Don't even try. Okay. I vaguely enough follow that. <laughs> okay. And then we return this. So we now have a situation where our prototype contains the ability to start and stop, but there's no UI, right? It's just the prototype has these abilities, but our our UI on our exact specific automaton doesn't have any any buttons for it. So we should add some buttons in the sample.html file. Um, I haven't made them all that imaginative. Button type equals button, ID equals start underscore BTN. And I, I gave it the label start auto run. And then I have one called stop underscore BTN with a text stop auto run. If you're a fan of the TV show Friends, I called mine stop the madness. Oh, I like that. <laughs> That's Phoebe yelling at the girls when they're fighting. I do miss friends. Anyway, um, so then we have to add our click handlers, which we add into the sample.html right below the click handler for the step function. And it's excruciatingly similar. We say, using our dollar function, we look for the thingy with the ID start underscore BTN. So the selector is pound sign or hash symbol start underscore BTN. We call the click function and we pass that click function an argument, which is an anonymous function which simply says sample ca dot start. Got it. And then we have another click function that says sample ca dot stop. And if you then at this point were to refresh the sample that HTML file, hey presto, you have play stop buttons. Why would we have to refresh it? You downloaded it to us. Well, no, as in, if, sorry, if you were doing if this you were for real, it, in if, real you were if you were editing, I got you. if you were playing along. Okay. All right. So that's part one of the homework. So part two is the generation counter, because it's fun to know how long it's been that you've been breeding your little life. How, how far into evolution has your little world gotten? So again, I've made the decision to implement the brains inside the prototype and the UI inside the HTML. So again, we're adding another variable called this.underscore_generation, which we're setting to zero because we start at zero. And again, we're adding a test to make sure that it really did get set to zero. So it's almost, it's literally identical to what we were doing before. So don't want to dwell on it too deeply. Then we need an accessor function. And it again is the identical logic to before. But in this case, it's an even simpler one because we don't, we want it to be a read-only accessor. You can't tell the automaton what generation it's at. It has to actually evolve. So the only thing that's ever going to update the generation is the the automaton itself. You as the outside person using the API don't get to say that, oh, no, this is arbitrarily generation 100. No, it isn't. Unless you've called the step function 100 times, it's generation zero. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So we're just saying if argument that length is greater than zero, just throw an error. Say sod off. This is a read-only accessor. No, you can't change the generation. And then just return the generation. And again, we add a test, and the test this time is much simpler because all we need to do is make sure that it gives us the right answer and that it tells everyone else to sod off. So then we have our counter, but we need to actually count. So the right place to count is inside the function dot step. So we just have to add one line to the end of dot step that says this dot underscore generation plus plus. 
So now that means that every time we step, the generation increments by one. Yes? Yep. Okay. I, I'm, I'm hoping at some point I can tell you st- stuff I did because, like, I did that part. But mine, okay, is, well, mine, mine is using get element by ID counter. Plus, plus. Which I thought seems- was cool because you hadn't taught us that. I had to go look that up and find it. That is oh, good. I like <laughs> when people use APIs. API documentation is your friend. Well, I, I didn't use API documentation. Don't be silly. I found it somewhere Google. at W3C or somewhere. W3C is an API doc, I would argue. Anyway, it, it's the, the point being, you knew what you needed. You Googled for it and you were able to understand and interpret the answers. So as far as I'm concerned, that's a massive win. That's, that, that's exactly how programmers I work. was kind of proud of it. And you should be because programmers don't remember stuff. They just remember how to Google. <laughs> right. Right. That's the scale. Um, the other thing I decided was that if you set the whole state of your cellular automaton to something new, then the generation should go back to zero. So I added a this dot underscore generation equals zero line to the end of my set state function, which has the added advantage that I could add a button to say start over without refreshing the whole page. But we'll talk about that later. So again, we write a test. Uh, the test should simply basically, so we write, we make a cellular automaton, we check that its generation is zero, we call the step function three times, then we check that the generation is three, then we set the whole state to something new, and we check that the generation is zero. And if that's, if all of those tests pass, then it's doing exactly what we expected, starting at zero, counting up, and then resetting back to zero. That all makes sense? Yeah, I'm looking over for where you put this generation counter, and it's inside the set state function. No, okay, so it's added to the uh, to the prototype. The set, inside... set state proto- part of no, the no, prototype. No, no that, okay, that's where we set it to zero on a reset, but we've also added it inside the constructor. So in our step function, we plus plus it, and in our set state function, we set it back to zero, because if you change the entire automaton to a whole new state, then you're back okay. on zero, right? You've, started you've also over. got a this dot generation change function. Um, I do, but I haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah. Well, okay. We're getting there. We're, we're about to arrive there, but that, I haven't told you about that yet. Okay. So, so you, so you set this dot underscore generation to zero in the, I forget the name constructor. of the word in the constructor. And then you set it, you have that exact same line again inside the set state because you need it to start over. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And we have a test to make sure that every time we call step, the generation counts up. And whenever we call set state, the generation goes back to zero. Mm-hmm. So we check it starts on zero, it counts up, and then it resets. So that's that. That's everything tested. I think you'll agree. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. So again, my eyes are we now... over at the testing. Sorry, I'm I'm not. Okay, then grokking. I'll skip over it. But the point is, yeah, I'll I'll skip over it from now on. Okay. Um, because, like you say, it's, <laughs> I'm having enough it's trouble absorbing the code, much less the uh, the test, because yeah. it's so different than what I thought the assignment was. That I'm having to learn a lot. So that's good. Yeah, I was going to say, does your counter count up correctly? Mm-hmm. Then you pass the assignment. It's it's like I wrote it in French and, and you wrote it in calculus. 
you know, not a different language, a whole different way of doing it. So I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm, I, I thought we were going to be talking about the way we did it, but we're, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay. But I'm definitely glazing over on the test. Okay. Well, we skipped the test because yeah. you're right. They were boring to write. They're boring to talk about. <laughs> but we're going to, you're going to discover that they're important, but oh, I, leave that no, discovery I'm for totally important. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So our internally within our prototype, we now have the ability to keep account. But that is stuck inside that object. How do we show the users what the current count is in such a way that it's completely generic and could be put inside anyone's web app? Well, the answer to that is what we actually need is we need the user to tell us what we should do every time the generation changes. Just like you set a click handler that says, what should this button do when someone clicks on it? So the code for a button doesn't define what the button does. The click handler defines what the button does. So what we need is a generation change handler. So that every time the generation changes, we will do whatever the user of the API said we should. So that's where generation change comes in. Okay. That is our equivalent of dot click. Okay. I'm hoping the example when we see it will will make it jump in. But I just what don't we're understand why is, generation change and click click handler is a is a stock official word and gener, yep. generation change is a variable Bart made up. Those aren't at all the same thing. But they're doing the same job. So what I am saying is, if you give me a callback, I promise I will run it for you every time the generation changes. Which is exactly how click works, right? You give click a callback and the promise jQuery gives you is every time someone clicks that button, I will run this code for you. So I'm saying you give me some code and every time the generation changes, I'll run that code for you. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen any code, so I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So we're building okay. it up slowly here. So the very first thing is I need the ability to store all these callbacks that you're going to give me to run. So I'm going to make an array called this dot underscore generation change, and that's just going to be an array of callbacks. It's going to start as an empty array. So in the constructor, we just say this dot underscore generation change equals open square bracket, close square bracket. One empty array. We have a test, which we're going to skip over. Then we need a function that is the equivalent of dot .click, a function to actually register something to do whenever the generation changes. So to keep it consistent with the way jQuery does things, I have called the function after the event. So generation change is what I've called the function, just like click is called click, just like key up is called key up. So I, I'm sticking to the convention, even though I've made up the names. So that, does okay, that make so sense? So underscore generate dot underscore generation is a is a what? Is it a very it's an array? It's, a, it's an array. It's an, ar it's it's an, an object, array into which which is an array. They are both true statements. Okay. And right, we are and going dot generation change is a function. Gotcha. That yes, makes sense. I, I like yes. that. I will allow and the, the identical name. <laughs> The I, argument it's going to take is a callback. And all we're going to do is stick the callback into the array. So this, that underscore generation change, that push, whatever the callback was. And of course, we have our usual um, validation that you really did give me a function, otherwise throw a type error. Now, in jQuery, if, if you say something.click and you give it an anonymous function, it stores the function. Yes? <laughs> no idea. Sure. But you know, but you've done it. You, you've done it in your own code, right? You have, if, when you say dollar sign whatever dot click and then you put an anonymous function in there, 
jQuery saves that and it will run that for you whenever someone clicks the button. Yeah? It saves It doesn't what? run it straight away. The, the, the callback, the anonymous function you gave, it gets stored so that every time the button gets clicked, that same function gets run. Like it saves it, it puts it, it keeps it safe for you and then runs it for you hmm. every time someone clicks okay. the button. I didn't know that. I thought it goes and gets it. Where I've written it for it. I didn't, it, it stores it. That doesn't mean much to me. Okay, but you, okay, so if you look at your code, you have an event handler that runs when the document becomes ready. Mm-hmm. And in that event handler, you call dot click yes. once and mm-hmm. you pass it an anonymous function. So you're saying all that only happens once? Yes. And then every time okay, you click. Okay, so it must be storing it if it only bingo. happens once. So the bingo. the document the document ready handler, which I call the dumb thingy, uh, to to Dorothy, the document ready handler only runs once. Yes, huh. which says okay. save the click handler so that every time someone clicks, do this. Okay, which means it has to be remembering. Yeah, I got you. So we're simulating that same functionality. So if you passed me a callback, I will save it for later. Now, okay. if you call dot click with no arguments, what does jQuery do? I don't know. It runs all the click handlers. If you if you if you, How do you say call dot, dot click without what? If you you can do it in your code, we've done it. Like we had our change handler call our click handler last time. Or with our keyboard, we had our keyboard handler call our click handler when we were doing our stars and our thumbs up and our thumbs down. Where are you, you were going? very proud of this. Where are you going? I I don't where I'm, I'm going lost. is if you call change generation with no arguments, it should run all of the callbacks it saved. Just like when you call click, it runs all the click handlers. When you call change, it runs all the change handlers. So I am saying my function is going to behave just like a jQuery function. Huh. Okay. I, I'm not getting the subtlety, but is it critical? Kind of. Okay. Say it all again, then. I, I, okay. I, you've got a you've got a, a prototype dot generation change. I'm looking at, and it's got mm-hmm. a bunch of tests and stuff at the beginning. If the arguments are greater than one, blah blah blah. It says store the callback. This dot underscore generation change dot push fn. Is that the line you're talking about? Yes. Okay. So that's what happens when you give it an argument. So that's equivalent of saying dot click open roundy bracket function blah 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 console.log boogers whatever your click handler is going to do. Okay. So the else statement on line 25, that happens if you call the function with no arguments. So that's the equivalent of the going dot click, open parens, close parens. So in this case, it would be generation change, open parens, close parens. So the comment on line 26, I'm hoping is helpful. No parameters were passed, so execute all callbacks. What, what callbacks? Any callback that's been saved so far. How would a callback have been saved so far if we didn't give it a parameter? Right, because you could have called the function before. Before what? I know I'm sounding really dense, but I have no idea what you mean. Okay, this function could be called a million times. So the first 900 times you could call it with a callback, and then the next 100 times you'd call it without an argument. I mean, the the click function... How how are you you, calling generation change without an argument? It doesn't... It it is a counter, therefore it always has an argument. The argument is one, and then two, and then three. No, 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 it's a function. Generation change is a function which expects either zero arguments or one argument. If you... Generation change doesn't change the counter. It's an event handler like click. 
this is what will what what will we do when the generation changes so a click handler defines what will happen when someone clicks generation change defines what will happen when the generation changes it's okay. not changing I'm with anything. you right to there okay all right yes it says okay. what will happen when the generation changes so you can either tell the object remember to do this every time the generation changes which is what happens if you give it an argument or you can call it with no arguments in which case what it will do is it will pretend the generation just changed and run all of the callbacks it has saved so what you can see there on line 27 it loops through the array for var i equals zero I'm, i is I'm less with you than all the way up to it will save all of the callbacks it's been it will run all saved. of the callbacks it has saved what what callbacks where we <laughs> okay the user of the api will have at some point like you do when you use jquery called the dot generation change function like you call the dot click function right therefore there will exist callbacks because you will have call, you will have created them or okay, there may so not when be I, any. when i create a uh, a little text field i say span and i'm going to shove that id for this generation change in there that's a callback no no when you in your code say dollar some selector dot click no, 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 I'm not that clicking. I'm not that clicking. I'm dot uh, generation changing. Okay. You are going to, okay, so you're going to have in your HTML file, mm-hmm. var mycellular automaton equals new bartificer.ca.cellular automaton. You're going to give it some arguments. Then you're going to say mycellular automaton dot generation change open parens function, whatever it is I want to do when the generation changes. Semicolon. That would that will register a callback. Okay. Which will be saved inside the object in the array underscore generation change. And you might do that three or four times if you wanted three or four callbacks. So that array is building up. Could be empty, could have more than one thing in it. If you then say my cellular automaton dot generation change open parens, close parens, semicolon. Then it will execute all, which is the zero or more callbacks you have registered. If it's zero, it will happily do that, and it won't throw any sort of error. So when you're saying It'll zero go, or more callbacks, you're saying within this uh, within this dot generation change thing, I'm going to be giving it more than one function, zero or more functions over time. So every time you call no, it, it with a yes call, or no, just yes or no. I'm just barely no. catching a tiny thread. No. no. Okay, I got no. It's going to have one argument, right? One argument or zero arguments. That one argument is named fn. When you okay, when you when you when you call dot click on something, you never give it two functions. You just give it one. This is you just, just like said dot zero click. or more. You just said it's okay. an array. You just said it had a whole bunch yes. of stuff in it, and now you're saying it Over has time. none. No, over time, it's they're not inside the function. They're inside the object. The function is just updating the object. I'm not, we just have to move on, Bart. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's not even. I'm, okay, I'm hoping that to, the example, I'm hoping the example code so. makes it click back in because the, it is, it is more practical when you see it actually. Okay, in. let's move on because I'm sure the audience is saying this. They're either okay. as confused as I am or going, geez, you're dense. I don't know which it is, but 
one of those two things is true, neither of which is, wow, I'm enjoying this. So let's go on. Okay, so the last thing we have to do, the last change you have to make to our prototype is that we have to add a call to this dot generation change into the step and the set state functions because those two things actually change the generation. So every time the generation changes, we have to make all of these callbacks happen. That was our promise to the user. Every time the generation changes, I'll do this for you. Mm-hmm. So we need to edit dot step and dot set state so that it actually delivers on the promise we made in the. I see why dot step. Why dot set state? Because that's dot what set sets state, it to zero. Bingo. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And that is a change, right? Okay. Then we have the test we're skipping over. So now we've got to actually add some HTML into our sample.html to actually make this go. Yes? Yes. So I decided to use a label. You could have decided to use a span, a div, a paragraph. Makes no odds. I gave it the ID game of life generation. And then I put inside it the word generation colon. And then an empty TT tag, which is a typed text tag. So I've it looks like a typewriter. I've never seen that. I thought that I was don't a typo. Think we talked about it. No, 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 it's a real tag. I don't okay. think we mentioned it because huh. I don't usually use it. It's like the code tag, but not for code. It's for typed text. Oh, okay. It's more likely it'll be separately styled? It, yes. So the default style is that it will look like a typewriter. So it'll be a fixed width font. Okay. Uh, at that point, we have the word generation, a colon, and then emptiness, which is not very useful. So we need to add a change handler, which we put into our, what was it you called it, Dorothy, your dumb dumb thingy? thingy. (laughs) So into your dumb thingy, we now need to add a change handler, but it's not called click, it's called generation change. Okay. But if you imagine where it says generation change, the word click, it should look very familiar to you. It does, yeah. So what we're saying is whenever the generation changes, do this. So that this is dollar, so call jQuery with the selector pound sign game of life generation arrow TT. So what does that selector mean? So you're looking, well, you had an ID for that uh, that uh, label called game mm-hmm. of life generation. And you're, uh, you're calling, or you're pointing at that, you're looking for that, and then created that, that have TT tags? TT? Directly inside, yes. So t- a TT tag, yeah. A TT tag, that is the direct child of whatever has the ID okay. game of You life. didn't have to do that. The chances that you'd have a game of life generation, ID, you can only have one ID for everything. So you would never have another ID with the same, the same ID that didn't have TTs. Okay, but I need to access the TT tag, not oh, the Oh, not, not the, the text of the word generation. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Ah, look at you. So that's you how I get in there. to be this tricky, but I got you. No, but you said something that you hadn't figured out how to make it say generation. So I said, aha, note to self, my code should do that so I can answer Alison's question. Yeah, that's not where I run into the problem, though, but okay. Oh, okay. Mine is, is as I put text in, it goes, whoop, and it stops running altogether. So I don't know what's going on. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so that that gives us a reference to that TT tag. Mm -hmm. And then I say, call the text function. So in other words, write text into that tag. And I'm going to say sample CA dot generation. In other words, write into it whatever the current generation is. So every time the generation changes, write the generation into this TT tag. Okay. Yes. I don't remember doing dot text, but you probably told us that before. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so dot text is a way of setting the text inside a tag. It's a jQuery function. That, so you've dot that text might be or dot the one HTML. I was missing. Okay. That, yeah, if, without that text, you would run into trouble because... 
Well, I'm able to write, no. I'm able to see the generation. I just can't put any text around it that says the generation is or anything like that. It's probably a typo. Okay, we can talk about that offline. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then, then, go ahead. Then I do that thing I always do with my, well, I often do with my change handlers, is I call generation change immediately with no arguments. And that does Because if I, did, if I didn't do that, it would never say zero. It would only say one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So I'm saying add every time the generation changes, do this, and now pretend the generation changed. So I call the function behave as if execute all the event handlers that go along with this event. But you you did tell it, it, you've just told it to run. Sample.ca.generation. No, I told it, no, I told it every time the generation changes, do this. But the generation hasn't changed. It's like when you add a click handler, it doesn't run immediately. It only runs when the person clicks. You're calling a function generation change. Yes, I am. And that function saves a callback, and that's all it does. It saves a callback that tells it what it should do when the generation changes. It doesn't actually okay. run okay. the callback. It just saves the callback into the array. Okay. So the, there's now an array with a callback. And then I call the same function with no arguments, and now it runs everything in that array, which is a grand total of one thing, because we just put it there on line two. Yep. I'm hoping then penny didn't fall out of the air. No, was was that supposed to be the penny? Which I was rather hoping so because line two maps directly onto that if statement you were having so much trouble with, and then line four calls the same if statement, but the other case is true. I, I don't have any confusion on this section, but all those words you were saying before they don't didn't suddenly have value. Okay, Let, let's just keep going. We we can't keep going over it. It's killing okay. me. <laughs> Okay, now, time-wise, I'm starting to wonder if the extra credit should be skipped. Uh, okay. Well, no, I'm happy to do it. Oh, yeah, because you've got more question. after the extra credit, don't you? Yeah, because I want to do the fun new bit. Oof. I don't want to end. Okay, yeah, let's definitely move on. The extra credit is there for anyone to look at. I'll, I'll, I'll vaguely hand-wave it, and then we'll move it on. So the basic idea is you add an HTML tag, which is... In this case, I'm adding a label and I'm adding an input type equals range, which translates into the visual world as a slider. And I'm saying it's min is one, it's max is 10, and it's step is 0.01. So it's just a slider that goes from one to 10. And then I add a change handler that says every time someone moves that slider, change the amount of milliseconds between steps inside the cellular automaton. So we're just calling our auto step interval MS function. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's all we have to do. The only thing Bart did where he was cheating was he, he made it, the, the way he got slow to be on the left was he did uh, one over. So it's per millisecond. It's yeah, because like it was really annoying me that, that fast was on the wrong side of the axis. So we inverted it by dividing it by a thousand. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. I, I also did a few other tweaks to, to make mine look prettier. So I made, I changed the CSS for my table. So there's no gap between the cells. I made all of my cells smaller so that I could change it so that my automaton has 100 rows and 200 columns, or 200 columns and 100 rows, one of those two. Um, Because that way I could fit more of the game of life in because cooler stuff happens the bigger the grid is. And I changed the red from being obnoxious red to being less obnoxious red. Does that make 
sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then I also added a button which I called respawn, which just calls the set state function and puts everything back to randomness. So basically it just starts over. So I don't have to refresh the page. I can just hit respawn and it sets it to a random state and goes again. And the nice thing is you can hit respawn even when the thing is running. So if it gets boring and there's nothing fun happening, you just click respawn. Anyway, so that is my sample assignment. It is all on GitHub as a tagged release link in the show notes. And that's all there is to say about that, really. Okay. Let's have some fun. Let's learn about ECMA script version 6. So when we started this, and I checked, installment 12 is when we first (laughs) met JavaScript, which was in April of 2016. So that's a year and a half ago. And back then, ECMA script 6, or ES6 for short, did exist. But the browser support for it was patchy at best. And so I reluctantly decided that we were going to stick with ES5, which is a previous version. So everything you've seen so far has been ES5. Well, a year and a half is a long time in technology because ES7 is now out. Uh, But the support in the browsers for ES7 is patchy at best. So that actually means that now ES6 is what ES5 was a year and a half ago. So it's time we moved on. And ES6 was a really big upgrade to JavaScript. ES7 has some nice features. ES6 is earth shattering. It just took the language to a whole new level. ES6 is probably the biggest update since JavaScript 1. It's an amazingly big update. So it's going to take us a while to go through this. So we're going to do one thing today. And then we're going to do two things next time. And we'll we'll see what speed we keep going after that. So goodbye var... Hello, let, and cons. (laughs) Okay. So, for backwards compatibility reasons, the var keyword is going to continue to be supported inside ES6. But if you use var, you're telling ES6 to pretend it's ES5. Oh, so you're actually changing the way it's going to work. So if you declare a variable with var, the old rules apply. If you declare a variable with let or const, the new rules apply. Oh, so we're going to have to be careful. Yes, we are. Because you could use var, but then try to use new rules, and it wouldn't be very happy. Well, yeah, your brain would be out of alignment with what's really going on. So you would be thinking the old way, but the browser is going to do things the new way, or you'd be Wait, thinking no, the new way, versa. the browser does things the old way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Depending on which way around you make the mistake. Oh, yeah, you so can you make can... the mistake the other way, right? So you just need to make sure that if I use the word var, then the browser is going to treat this variable like an old-fashioned variable. And if I use the word let, the browser is going to treat this variable like a new variable. And you can mix the two. So you can have some var variables and some let variables in the same code. And different rules will apply to those two different variables. (laughs) And that will probably make your head hurt. Yeah. So don't do that. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) So why did they replace var? The answer is because it was bloody weird. I have hidden some of that weirdness from you because I sort of felt that it only bites you on the backside about one in a thousand times. And if I make this too confusing on day one, that's just going to make everyone cranky and no one's going to want to play along. (laughs) So I lied by omission and I never told you about some of the weird stuff that VAR does. The first thing is that you, you don't think it's odd that the scope in JavaScript is by function. And the reason you don't think it's odd is because I've never told you it was odd and you've never known anything else. So you're very happy in the world where a variable is defined within a function that exists within that function and within any other functions that contain it. So if you have a nested function, it ripples out. 
Are you going to tell me that's no longer true? That is... Because there's more to it than that. It is true, but there's also more going on. Okay. All right. So that will continue. This is like one of the few things I think I really have solidly in my knowledge. And if you told me it wasn't, it it, it, it is different, but it's not confusingly different. Okay. It's the same logic, just better applied. Okay. In just about, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a single counterexample to make the statement I'm about to say false, and I can't think of one. So I think it is true that in every other C-style programming language, the scope isn't by function. It's by block. In other words, every time you open a curly brace, a new scope comes into being. So if you define a variable inside a for loop, it only exists inside the for loop. If you define a variable inside a for loop inside a for loop, it only exists inside the inner one. Right. So it's the same logic as with functions, but it applies to every curly bracket, not only the curly brackets on functions. Sounds good. So, so basically what it used to do is called function scope. And what it does now is called block scope. So every time a curly bracket opens, a new scope comes into being. That's block scope. So let and const use block scope. Var uses function scope. Okay. There we go. I won't keep stating it. Now, what I haven't told you about is something called hoisting. <laughs> By your own petard? Yeah, I was trying to find a way to work that joke into the show notes and I oh, failed. I'm, I'm delighted sorry. you went there. <laughs> no, I'm delighted you went oh, there because okay. I was I didn't figure out how. So to explain hoisting, I'm going to show you how it makes your head explode. So don't look ahead to, to what the output of this code snippet is. Okay. So it's a very simple code snippet. Var msg equals I'm a global exclamation point. So we're def- declaring a variable in the global scope with the name msg with the message I'm a global. Then we declare a function with the shockingly imaginative name of fn. The first thing it does is it console.logs msg. Then it says var msg equals now I'm local. Console.log msg. Mm-hmm. So this function logs msg. Then it creates a local variable with the same name with a different value. And then it logs it again. Then the last line is simply execute the function we just wrote. Fn, open bracket, close bracket. So what do you expect to get printed to the console? I expect it to say I'm global first and then it to say now I'm local. You would indeed. And 99% of the planet probably agrees with you. And that's not what happens because really? of hoisting. What actually happens is undefined. Now I'm local. Hmm. Why? And the reason is because of hoisting. You wrote the word var on line seven, or I wrote the word var on line seven. The word var appears on line seven, but that's not what actually got executed. Behind your back, that code was altered so that the declaration was moved up to line six. That function really is var msg semicolon console.log msg msg equals now I'm local console.log msg. Behind your back without you having any control over it, that's what JavaScript five and four and three and two and one do. That's called variable hoisting, and you have no control over that. So, so that's why we, it says undefined. You can't access the global variable. The, the scope of MSG is the entire function, including the bits before you declared it. It goes back in time. 
VAR MSG goes back in time to line six. So I'm not going to learn this. I'm going to move on to the new way because I don't follow it. <laughs> I don't, it's not it's important that we know that, right? Okay. It's completely counterintuitive. My main point is that VAR does some really weird stuff. So that's why I put it in bold. Okay. VAR is just weird. So let isn't weird like that. Let doesn't do that. Let, let works like human beings expect it should. So... The syntax is pretty much what you're used to. Instead of saying var x equals 4, you just say let x equal 4, which you can say in your head as let x become equal to 4. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. The, other, the only difference then is that let is block scoped, not function scoped, and let doesn't hoist. No hoisting. So if we rewrite our example to let msg equals I'm a global, then inside our function we say let msg equals now i'm a local and we run it what we get is not undefined followed by i'm a local or now i'm local what we get is an error and we get an error because you're not allowed to have the same variable have two scopes within the same block of code so the old way the way var dealt with it was just by behind your back declaring the variable for you and making it be undefined which is spooky action at a distance. The way ES6 deals with it is by saying, no, that is not allowed. Inside a scope, MSG is either local or global. You may not have your cake and eat it. Now, if you want your cake... Um, Since I don't understand why it didn't work before, I don't understand why it's still, it's angry here. If if we said... If we said let MSG equals I'm a global, that is, we've defined that variable MSG is I'm a global. Now we've got a function. And we're going to... Okay, before you go on, that variable exists in the global scope, and that is true. Right? Then we declare the function, sorry. I'm allowed to talk. Okay. So let MSG equals I'm a a global. We've said that's a variable we're going to call I'm a global. That's in the global scope. And we have a function that's going to say console.log the message, MSG. Mm-hmm. It knows what I'm a global is because that was uh, a global variable. So it should be able to type I'm a global. Are you saying it doesn't? I am because that's actually not allowed because inside the same function, you make another variable with the same name. But and I haven't so done, I'm not it. to that step yet. I'm at console.log message. How right, can it not know what that is? Because JavaScript code is compiled before it runs. You don't compile it, but the browser does. And the browser, as it tries to compile it, goes, ah, no, either you're global or you're local. You can't be both. You can't, within the same scope, it can't be both. So as the compiler, when you try to run that function, it compiles it and then runs it, but it never finishes compiling it because on line seven, it goes, no. I think, I finally, I, I think I've just seen what, what the problem is in both of these examples. It's the word using var twice or let twice. We should have just said message equals now I'm local. And that would have worked. But then we would have changed the global variable. So that would have changed it everywhere. We wouldn't have a local variable anymore. Yes, we would have yes just had but a, it would not have errored out is my point. The whole point about oh, the error yes. is that it's because we're trying to define a, a global variable a second time within a local variable or no, within a local to, function. We're trying to have a local variable with the same name as a global variable in the same function. We could have one or the other. We could either take out line six and then it will be fine and it would have only its local copy or we can take out line eight and it will be fine. 
Okay. Um, but, could you have oh, sorry, said... Sorry, line seven and eight. Yeah. It, could you have, uh, at the global scope, said, let MSG equals blah, 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 and then uh, the very next line said, let MSG equals boogers, and that would have been Absolutely. okay? Okay, so it's okay, just that it it's inside changed. of a function, it's not allowed to do it. Yes. Okay. Well, no, no, only because it's inside a function where we also try to create a local variable with the same name. That's if what I'm we saying. Didn't have... That's what I'm saying. Trying to create a local variable with the same name isn't... Take, it isn't changing the global variable so it can't have the same name. because yeah. And that makes sense because the function gets to use that global variable so it wouldn't know which one was which. Exactly. It's like, no, no, inside this function, either we're, we're using your one or we're using the global one. We are not doing both. You can never do both within the same function. So it goes, ah, no. Okay. The old way was it just silently did it in such a way that you didn't know what was going on and your code did weird stuff. The new way is I will give you an error. That way, you'll know what's going on and it won't be spooky action at a distance. It won't cause a weird bug that will take you 20 months to track down. It will It'll smack instantly. you right in the face with it and go, Right. Hey. And as a programmer, that's way better than a silent error. Make all of my errors noisy. Make them slap me in the face. Don't have them happen quietly because then I won't notice them and it'll right. take me months to find. Right. Now, I've got to say, Bart typed in here what the error is, and I think they could have made it a little bit more simple to understand. Reference error. Can't access lexical declaration MSG before in initialization. That yeah. mean, So what that means is you can't make a, a local variable with the same name as a global variable? <laughs> it mean, Yeah, because you're trying to access MSG before you've created MSG. So basically, the line that says let MSG is after the line where you try to use MSG is what it's trying to say there. It's not, it's, yeah, I completely agree with you. That's not good English. Okay. It's not clear English. Yeah. It is English, but only just. Just barely. Okay. So we actually, because of block level scopes, we actually can have our cake and eat it if we want to, because we just make a new block. So the last code snippet... Can you tell snippet, me again what a block is? A block is one or more statements inside curly braces. So every time you make a function, you make a block. Every time you have an if statement, you make a block. Every oh, time you have a so for a statement, you make a block. So a, a function has a block statement in it, or has a, yeah. Has a block as but part it of it, does, yeah. But it doesn't mean only functions have blocks. Bingo. Okay. Yes, exactly. So every function is a block, but not every block is a function, which okay. is why this new scope is more powerful. Okay. And you can just make a block. So on line nine, we just say, start a new block. And on line 12, we close that block which means that MSG, the local MSG, only exists for lines 10 and 11. That scope, that, that variable scope is just those two lines long. And there is no use of the global inside the same scope, so there is no conflict inside that scope. That scope is free of all conflict. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> but it means we can, we can do both. Within the one function, I can now access both the global and the local variable. So I you already know how much it makes me crazy when you name things the same thing. Now you have full reign to name just all over the place, use the same name, and it won't mean the same thing. That's but horrible. But I'm not going to. I'm not yeah, going to. Instead, I'm, okay. No, I won't. I'm, I'm making a mark right now of what the time was when Bart said he would never do that. <laughs> no, no, not, not, not abusing the let mechanism with blocks. I won't do that. Everything I used to do, I'm going to continue doing, but I'm not going to do this all the time. Instead, I'm going to allow the error to happen so that I know I'm being stupid. But if I really needed access to both variables for some weird reason, in ES6, I can do so by creating a new scope, doing what I want, and letting that scope end. 
And so, oh, so you can create uh, squirrely brackets and that aren't part of an if statement or part of a function. They're just squirrely brackets hanging out there with some stuff inside. Yeah. Ah. And they make a new scope. And so if you need ah. a little scope to do something and you just make a new, a new block. Hey, presto, I now have a little scope in which I can work. Okay. And any variables I declare in there are entirely contained between those curly brackets and don't exist anywhere else. Interesting. Okay. So it's useful. And that's, that's it, actually. Uh, oh, no. Apologies. Const. Const is identical to let with one really important difference. So do you want to have a guess with something called const, what the difference might be? Well, it's not a variable. It's constant. Bingo. Pi. Yes. In other words, const is a set once. And then if you ever try to change the value again, you will get an error. JavaScript will say attempt to change constant. It'll actually give you a sane error on that one. Okay. So you would use it for stuff where it really, really shouldn't change. For example, the gravitational constant of our yeah. universe <laughs> is literally a universal constant. Uh -huh. So if I were to write a function to calculate the gravitational force between two bodies, I could do so like in the sample snippet. So on line two, const capital G equals 6.7 exponential minus 11, which is 6.66, 6.999, whatever it is. Anyway, uh, I declare a function called gravitational force, which takes three arguments, mass one kg, mass two kg, and distance m. And notice how wonderfully clear I'm being on my variable names. I'm trying to be better instead of calling them m1, m2, and d. <laughs> Because this way I know they're in kilograms. Mm -hmm. And then I return g times m1, m2 over r squared, or the distance squared. That's so why your gravitational constant looks weird. You're using them kilograms and such, huh? That is the SI unit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Someday my I'm a scientist, me. <laughs> so then we can console.log the gravitational force between the Earth and the Moon. And I can tell you that the mass of the Earth is 6 exponential 24, and the mass of the Moon is 7.35 exponential okay, 22. Okay, quit showing off. Move along. <laughs> okay, Wikipedia knows that. Um, and then you console.log it out, and hey, presto, you will have. So in other words, const is just a variable that you cannot change. If you were to try change the value of g, that would be a bug. Yeah, so and it, in the old days, we would we would call it a variable and just hope nobody ever changed it. Bingo! Yeah, I and like that And then we one. could have weird bugs. It's like, imagine you have a flight simulator and suddenly the force due to gravity changes due to a typo somewhere. Like, talk about a bug you'd probably never find for weeks. Yeah. With a constant, if you try to change it, slap in the face. You may not do so. One final small subtlety. How many times have I said to you that a variable stores a primitive value or a reference to an object? Yeah, rings a bell. So if you stick an object into a const, you can never make it point to a different object. But what the const actually contains is a reference. So you can still change the content of the object. You just can't change what object it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Phew. Okay, that was the... That was the Only that because was you the gave an example here. here. <laughs> ah, okay, good. So you can say x, const x equals an object with the key y and the value 4, and then you can say x dot y equals 5, and you could say x dot z equals 6, but you could not say x equals anything. What is x, x dot z, though? I've just added an extra key. My object now contains two keys, y and z. It's also perfectly fine. Okay. It's, it's still the same object, but if I were to say x equals boogers, or x equals open squirrely bracket, close curly bracket, which is a new empty object, not allowed. x can't have its value changed, but the things inside x can. Okay. 
So, yeah, basically, if there's a dot after the X, it's good. If there's no dot after the X, I'm going to skip over the aside because you didn't like hoisting. (laughs) Anyone who is wondering why you can use a function before you declare it, the answer is functions get hoisted. Okay. And that is still true in ES6, no change. Huh. Right. Okay. So you can call a function and then declare the function and it will work because the function gets hoisted. And that's still true in ES6. It's that, spooky. That actually, actually, that actually makes sense. Your your explanation it? that it gets compiled first, like every line of it is executed before you ever do anything. It's interpreted. Yeah, every line is analyzed and converted into computer reformat before it does anything. Yeah. Therefore, it knows that you will be defining FN later and it's perfectly happy to go with that. Right. Okay. Okay. So your challenge for your challenge is, I hope, a straight terrified. <laughs> You take the result of our work, basically you take my sample, not my sample, my solution to the last lot of homework and you get the vars out of there and replace them with lets and consts as appropriate. Hmm. Okay. And then next time I'm going to teach you about new types of loops, much, much, much friendlier loops, loops specifically designed to make arrays and objects easy. Because what do we most often want to loop over? An array. Right. What do we always end up doing? For var x equals zero, x is less than array.length, x plus plus. It's this huge big blob. It's something we want to do all the time. Wouldn't it be great if we could do it in a much simpler way? Ah. Yes, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can also iterate over all of the keys and value pairs inside an object in a really simple way. So two Ooh. new types of loop. And then the other thing, which is going to make Jill's little ears perk up right now, within 10 seconds, Jill is going to be happy. <laughs> JavaScript 6 allows you to give default values to function arguments. And we're going to learn how. And you don't think that's cool yet. Jill does. (laughs) But you don't yet. But you will this time next time. Right. Well, it was a little rough in the middle, but I think you brought it home here. Um, I I was happy that with uh, Dorothy's help, I got little counter going, I got a little stop and a start, a little slider, so I still feel like I had success even though I didn't do anything you did. Pretty much unrecognizable as the same assignment. Right, because it's an infinity of of possible answers, and I didn't tell you how. Yeah. Right. The, the, The challenge was not do it my way. The challenge was make it work. You succeeded completely. And you got the bonus credit. Yeah, I didn't get my buttons to work, though. It still bothers me. Now that actually, now that I have a slider working, I should go back and revisit the button. And I also had a creative thing I wanted to do that I didn't succeed at either. But I'm not telling you what it was because if I ever figure it out, I'm going to be really, it's going to be fun <laughs> to show you. You're reserving bragging rights. Well, it, yeah, it will make you giggle, that's all. Because you wanted I, us I, to play I and I was playing. Um, oh, good, yeah. You know, I gave a shout out in Security Light but I want to do it again in uh, Programming by Stealth because it does work here. And this is the present I got from Pat Dangler. <laughs> uh, we, uh, Pat Dangler and I stood in line to buy an iPhone 10. So if you're listening to this five years later, you're going to laugh about us and our paltry little iPhone 10s. But uh, she gave me a box of boogers. It is a candy from a company called Flix. And it says, uh, tangy gummy boogies that look and feel real. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. <laughs> I just, I didn't notice the name of the company yesterday. Uh-huh. How many people flick their boogers? Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. 
It just hit me there the second when you said flicks. It's like, oh my God, they're flicking boogers. Yeah. <laughs> it also says, snot your regular gummy on the box. It's oh, just the most and a good pun to, to, to drive it home. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our, we don't normally have palate cleansers. Oh, I don't want to think about that. That's not boogers. a palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> this is going downhill, Barb. Quick, cut me off. Uh, what are we on? Okay, until next time. Happy computing. That's it. Happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at PodFeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.